0: Book Four Part Three of A Confederate Girl's Diary. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. A Confederate Girl's Diary by Sarah Morgan Dawson. Book Four Part Three, March Fifteenth to April Twelfth, Eighteen Sixty-three. SUNDAY, MARCH 15TH. To my unspeakable surprise, I waked up this morning and found myself alive. Once satisfied of that and assuring myself of intense silence in the place of the great guns which rocked me to sleep about half-past two this morning, I began to doubt that I had heard any disturbance in the night, and to believe I had written a dream within a dream and that no bombardment had occurred. BUT I'LL CORROBORATE MY STATEMENT, SO IT MUST BE TRUE, AND THIS PORTENTOUS SILENCE IS ONLY THE CALM BEFORE THE STORM. I AM HALF AFRAID THE LAND FORCE WON'T ATTACK. WE CAN BEAT THEM IF THEY DO, BUT SUPPOSE THEY LAY siege TO PORT HUDSON AND STARVE US OUT. THAT IS THE ONLY WAY THEY CAN CONQUER. WE HEAR NOTHING STILL THAT IS RELIABLE. Just before daylight there was a terrific explosion which electrified everyone save myself. I was sleeping so soundly that I did not hear anything of it, though Mrs. Badger says that when she sprang up and called me, I talked very rationally about it and asked what it could possibly be. Thought that I had ceased talking in my sleep. Miriam was quite eloquent in her dreams before the attack, crying aloud, "'See, see, what do I behold?' as though she were witnessing a rehearsal of the scene to follow later dr kennedy has just passed through and was within the fortifications last night brings news which is perhaps reliable as it was obtained from gardner it was as we presumed the batteries and gunboats one we sank another the mississippi we disabled so that the yankees had to abandon and set fire to her thirty nine prisoners falling into our hands. It was her magazine that exploded this morning. Two other boats succeeded in passing, though badly crippled. Our batteries fired gallantly. Hurrah for Colonel Steadman! I know his was by no means the least efficient. Clinton, they say, will inevitably be sacked. Alas for mother and lily! What can we do? The whole country is at the mercy of the Yankees as long as Gardner keeps within the fortifications. Six miles below here they entered Mr. Newport's, pulled the pillowcases from the beds, stuffed them with his clothes, and helped themselves generally. What can we expect here? To tell the truth, I should be disappointed if they did not even look in at us on their marauding expedition. March 17th. On dit, the Yankees have gone back to Baton Rouge, hearing we had 60,000 men coming down after them. I believe I am positively disappointed. I did want to see them soundly thrashed. The light we thought was another burning house was that of the Mississippi. They say the shrieks of the men when our hot shells fell among them, and after they were left by their companions to burn, were perfectly appalling.' Another letter from Lily has distressed me beyond measure. She says the one chicken and two dozen eggs Miriam and I succeeded in buying from the Negroes by prayers and entreaties, saved them from actual hunger, and for two days they had been living on one egg apiece and some cornbread and syrup. Great heavens, has it come to this? Nothing to be bought in that abominable place for love or money— "'Where the next meal comes from, nobody knows.' "'Wednesday, March 25th. "'Early last evening the tremendous clatter of a sword "'that made such unnecessary noise "'that one might imagine the owner thereof "'had betaken himself to the favorite pastime of his childhood "'and was prancing in on his murderous weapon, "'having mistaken it for his war-steed, "'announced the arrival of Captain Bradford,' "'who with two friends came to say adieu. "'Those vile Yankees have been threatening Ponchatoula, "'and his battery with a regiment of infantry "'was on its way there to drive them back. "'The captain sent me word of the distressing departure "'with many assurances that he would take care of my John. "'Scarcely had he departed when, lo, John arrives "'and speaks for himself. "'Yes, he is going.' ONLY A MOMENT TO SAY GOOD-BYE. SUNSET APPROACHES. WELL, HE MUST SAY GOOD-BYE NOW. CHORUS OF YOUNG LADIES. OH, YOU WILL NOT SPEND THE EVENING WITH US? YOU CAN EASILY OVERTAKE THE BATTERY LATER. CHORUS OF MARRIED LADIES. YOU MUST NOT THINK OF GOING. HERE IS A COMFORTABLE ROOM AT YOUR SERVICE, AND AFTER AN EARLY BREAKFAST YOU CAN BE ON THE ROAD AS SOON AS THE OTHERS. NO NECESSITY FOR PRAYERS. HE READILY CONSENTS. And yet, as the evening wore on, when we laughed loudest, I could not help but think of poor little Mrs. MacFall, sitting alone and crying over her brother's departure, fancying his precious bones lying on the damp ground with only the soldier's roof, the blue vault of heaven above, while two miles away he sat in a comfortable parlor amusing himself." About sunrise, while the most delightful dreams floated through my brain, a little voice roused me, exclaiming, "'Sadie! Sadie! John Howsey! Say so! Say give Sadie!' I opened my eyes to see little Gibb standing by me, trying to lay some flowers on my cheek, his little face sparkling with delight at his own importance. A half-opened rosebud with the faintest blush of pink on its creamy leaves— a pink and a piece of arbor Vitae, all sprinkled with dew, this was my bouquet. The servant explained that Mr. Halsey had just left, and had sent me that with his last good-bye. And he has gone. And now there's nothing left but weeping, his face I ne'er shall see, and naught is left me save. Putting away my book and all recollections of nonsense, so here goes tuesday march thirty first to be or not to be that's the question Whether 'tis nobler in the confederacy to suffer the pangs of unappeasable hunger and never-ending trouble or to take passage to a yankee port and there remaining end them which is best I am so near daft that I cannot pretend to say, I only know that I shudder at the thought of going to New Orleans, and that my heart fails me when I think of the probable consequence to mother, if I allow a mere outward sign of patriotism to overbalance what should be my first consideration, her health. For Clinton is growing no better rapidly. To be hungry is there an everyday occurrence. FOR TEN DAYS, MOTHER WRITES, THEY HAVE LIVED OFF JUST HOMINY ENOUGH TO KEEP THEIR BODIES AND SOULS FROM PARTING, WITHOUT BEING ABLE TO PROCURE ANOTHER ARTICLE, NOT EVEN A POTATO. MOTHER IS NOT IN A CONDITION TO STAND SUCH PRIVATION. DAY BY DAY SHE GROWS WEAKER ON HER NEW REGIMEN. I AM SATISFIED THAT TWO MONTHS MORE OF DANGER, DIFFICULTIES, PERPLEXITIES AND STARVATION WILL LAY HER IN HER GRAVE. "'The latter alone is enough to put a speedy end to her days. "'Lily has been obliged to put her children to bed "'to make them forget they were supperless, "'and when she followed their example "'could not sleep herself for very hunger. "'We have tried in vain to find another home in the Confederacy. "'After three days spent searching in Augusta, "'Gibbs wrote that it was impossible to find a vacant room for us "'as the city was already crowded with refugees.' A kind Providence must have destined that disappointment in order to save my life, if there is any reason for Colonel Stedman's fears. We next wrote to Mobile, Brandon, and even that horrid little Liberty, besides making inquiries of every one we met, while Charlie too was endeavoring to find a place, and everywhere received the same answer, not a vacant room and provisions hardly to be obtained at all. THE QUESTION HAS NOW RESOLVED ITSELF TO WHETHER WE SHALL SEE MOTHER DIE FOR WANT OF FOOD IN CLINTON, OR BY SACRIFICING AN OUTWARD SHOW OF PATRIOTISM, THE INWARD SENTIMENT CANNOT BE CHANGED, GO WITH HER TO NEW ORLEANS, AS BROTHER BEGS IN THE FEW LETTERS HE CONTRIVES TO SMUGGLE THROUGH. IT LOOKS SIMPLE ENOUGH. OUGHT NOT MOTHER'S LIFE TO BE OUR FIRST CONSIDERATION? UNDOUBTEDLY but suppose we could preserve her life and our free sentiments at the same time if we could only find a resting-place in the confederacy this though is impossible but to go to new orleans to see singing dixie to be obliged to keep your sentiments to yourself for i would not wound brother by any ultra-secession speech and such could do me no good and only injure him if he is as friendly with the Federals as they say he is, to listen to the scurrilous abuse heaped on those fighting for our homes and liberties, among them my three brothers, could I endure it? I fear not. Even if I did not go crazy, I would grow so restless, homesick, and miserable that I would pray for even Clinton again. Oh, I don't, don't want to go.' if mother would only go alone and leave us with lily but she is as anxious to obtain dr stone's advice for me as we are to secure her a comfortable home and i won't go anywhere without miriam so we must all go together yet there is no disguising the fact that such a move will place us in a very doubtful position to both friends and enemies however all our friends here warmly advocate the move and will pinckney and frank both promised to knock down any one who shrugged their shoulders and said anything about it but what would the boys say the fear of displeasing them is my chief distress george writes in the greatest distress about my prolonged illness and his alarm about my condition OF ONE THING I AM SURE HE WRITES, AND THAT IS THAT SHE DESERVES TO RECOVER, FOR A BETTER LITTLE SISTER NEVER LIVED. GOD BLESS HIM, MY EYES GREW RIGHT MOIST OVER THOSE FEW WORDS. LOVING WORDS BRING TEARS TO THEM SOONER THAN ANGRY ONES. WOULD HE OBJECT TO SUCH A STEP WHEN HE KNOWS THAT THE VERY MEDICINES NECESSARY FOR MY RECOVERY ARE NOT TO BE PROCURED IN THE WHOLE COUNTRY? "'Would he rather have mother dead and me a cripple in the Confederacy than both well out of it? "'I feel that if we go we are wrong, but I am satisfied that it is worse to stay. "'It is a distressing dilemma to be placed in, as we are certain to be blamed whichever course we pursue. "'But I don't want to go to New Orleans.' before i had time to lay down my pen this evening general gardner and major wilson were announced and i had to perform a hasty toilette before being presentable the first remark of the general was that my face recalled many pleasant recollections that he had known my family very well but that time was probably beyond my recollection and he went on talking about father and Lavinia until I felt quite comfortable with this utter stranger. I would prefer his speaking of our recent success at Port Hudson to my—for we each, man, woman, and child, feel that we share the glory of sinking the gunboats and sending banks back to Baton Rouge without venturing on an attack— AND IT SEEMED ODD TO HEAR ANY ONE ASSUME THE RESPONSIBILITY OF THE WHOLE AFFAIR AND SAY MY SUCCESS SO UNCONSCIOUSLY. BUT THIS MAY BE THE PRIVILEGE OF GENERALS. I AM NO JUDGE, AS THIS IS THE FIRST CONFEDERATE GENERAL I HAVE HAD THE PLEASURE OF SEEING. WISH IT HAD BEEN OLD STONEWALL. I GROW ENTHUSIASTIC EVERY TIME I THINK OF THE DEAR OLD FELLOW. I am indebted to General Gardner for a great piece of kindness, though. I was telling him of how many enemies he had made among the ladies by his strict regulations that now rendered it almost impossible for the gentlemen to obtain permission to call on them, when he told me that if I would signify to my friends to mention when they applied that their visit was to be here and not elsewhere, that he would answer for their having a pass whenever they called for one. "'Merci du compliment, mais c'est trop tard, monsieur.' "'Tuesday, April 7th. "'I believe that it is for true that we are to leave for New Orleans "'via Clinton and Ponchatoula this evening. "'Clinton, at least, I am sure of. "'Lily came down for me yesterday, and according to the present programme, "'though I will not answer for it in an hour from now, "'we leave Linwood this evening and Clinton on Thursday.' I am almost indifferent about our destination. My chief anxiety is to have some definite plans decided on, which seems perfectly impossible from the number of times they are changed a day. The uncertainty is really affecting my spine and causing me to grow alarmingly thin. Wednesday, Clinton, April 8, 1863 Our last adieux are said and Linwood is left behind. It may be for years, and it may be for ever. My last hours were spent lying on the sofa on the gallery, with Lydia at my feet, Helen Carter sitting on the floor at my side, while all the rest were gathered around me as I played for the last time the center of attraction. I grew almost lachrymose as I bid adieu to the bed where I have spent so many months as they carried me downstairs. Wonder if it will not miss me it must have been at least five before the cars returned mrs carter grew quite pathetic as they approached while poor little lydia with streaming eyes and choking sobs clung first to miriam and then to me as though we parted to meet only in eternity all except her mother started in a run for the big gate while i was carried to the buggy through the group of servants gathered to say good-bye when the general drove me off rapidly what a delightful sensation is motion after five months in action the last time i was in a vehicle was the night general beale's ambulance brought me to Linwood, a helpless bundle last november "'It seemed to me yesterday that I could again feel the kind gentleman's arm supporting me "'and his wondering, sympathetic tone as he repeated every half-mile. "'Really, Miss Morgan, you are very patient and uncomplaining.' "'Good, kind President Miller, as though all the trouble was not his just then.' But stopping at the gate roused me from my short reverie, and I opened my eyes to find myself stationary and in full view of a train of cars loaded with soldiers, literally covered with them, for they covered the roof as well as filled the interior, while half a dozen open cars held them, seated one above the other in miniature pyramids, and even the engine was graced by their presence abashed with finding myself confronted with so many people my sensation became decidedly alarming as a dozen rude voices cried out go on we won't stop and a chorus of the opposition cried yes we will no yes they cried in turn and as the general stood me on the ground i would have walked if it had been my last attempt in life i paused irresolute not knowing whether to advance or retreat before the storm i must say they are the only rude soldiers i have yet seen in confederate uniforms but as I walked slowly, clinging to the general's arm, half from fear and half from weakness, they ceased the unnecessary dispute and remained so quiet that I was more frightened still and actually forgot to say good-bye to Mrs. Carter and Mrs. Worley as they stood by the road. How both the general and I escaped being hurt as he raised me on the platform, everyone is at a loss to account for i experienced only what may be called slight pain in comparison to what i have felt but really fear that the exertion has disabled him for to-day it must have been very severe some officers led me to my seat lily miriam and anna got in the general kissed us heartily with damp eyes and kind wishes the cars gave a whistle, and I put my head out of the window to see Mrs. Carter industriously applying white cambric to her face, which occupation she relinquished to call out last good-byes. Another whistle and a jerk, and we were off, leaving her and Mrs. Worley, surrounded by children and servants, using their handkerchiefs to wipe tears and wave farewell, while the general waved his hat for good-bye then green hedges rapidly changing took their place and lynwood was out of sight before we had ceased saying and thinking god bless the kind hearts we had left behind can i ever forget the kindness we have met among them to see green trees and wild flowers once more after such an illness is a pleasure that only those long deprived of such beauties by a similar misfortune can fully appreciate it was a relief to discover that what i had thought shocking rudeness in the soldiers had not been reserved for me alone Every time we stopped the same cry of no waiting for slow people was raised, varied by constant expostulations with the engine for drinking ponds dry and mild suggestions as to taking the road the other side of the fence, which would no doubt prove smoother than the track. These Arkansas troops have acquired a reputation for roughness and ignorance which they seem to cultivate as assiduously as most people would their virtues, but rudeness does not affect their fighting qualities. Madisonville, Sunday, April twelfth, 1863. We arrived here about five last evening, and, strange to say, the journey fatiguing as it was has not altogether disabled me but i must go back to clinton to account for this new change it would never do to take more than a hundred miles at a single jump without speaking of the incidents by the way numerous and pleasant as they were some way they have unaccountably paled and things that seemed so extremely amusing and afforded me so much pleasure during these four days now seemed to be absurd trifles half forgotten i now remember lying in state on lily's bed wednesday talking to mrs badger who had been several days in town anna sarah ripley and the others when frank suddenly bolted in just from port hudson to say another good-bye though i told him good-bye at Linwood sunday presently the general entered just from linwood to see us off then mr marston and his daughter mr neefus all as kind as possible until a perfect levy was assembled which i lying all dressed with a shawl thrown over me enjoyed all the more as i could take my ease and have my fun at the same time frank sitting by my pillow talked dolorously of how much he would miss us and threatened to be taken prisoner before long in order to see us again When we were finally left alone, I fancy there was very little sleep in the house. As to me, I lay by Lily wide awake, thinking how lonely she would be without us, and perfectly desolate at the idea of leaving the Confederacy, the dear grey coats included. So when it was almost sunrise, there was no necessity of rousing me to dress, as I was only too glad to leave my sleepless bed before i got dressed anna her mother and sarah ripley came in again then miss comstock and just as i had put the last touch to my dress the gentleman of the night before entered and we had almost an hour and a half's respite before the carriage less punctual than we drove to the door the general picked me up in his arms and carried me once more to the carriage then the servants had to say good-bye then lily very quiet very red and dissolved in tears clung to me almost without a word hardly able to speak whilst i distressed and grieved as i was had not a tear in my eyes nothing but a great lump in my throat that i tried to choke down in order to talk to frank who stood at the window by me after she left how the distance lengthens between us i raise up from my pillows and find myself at camp moore at four o'clock forty miles are passed over good-bye frank from camp moore we had to go three miles back to find captain gilman's house where we were expected the gentleman is a friend of gibbs though i had never seen any of them before such a delightful place with everything looking so new and cool and such a hospitable hostess that i thought everything charming in spite of my fatigue i had hardly a moment to look around for immediately we were shown to our rooms and in a very few minutes miriam had me undressed and in bed the most delightful spot in the world to me just then while congratulating myself on having escaped death on the roadside, I opened my eyes to behold a tray brought to my bedside with a variety of refreshments-coffee, bread, loaf sugar, preserves. I opened my mouth to make an exclamation at the singular optical illusion, but wisely forbore speaking, and shut it with some of the unheard-of delicacies instead. Early the next morning the same routine was gone through as Thursday morning. Again the carriage drove to the door, and we were whisked off to Camp Moore, where the engine stood snorting with impatience to hurry us off to Ponchatoula. Soon we were steaming down the track, I reclining on my pillows in an interesting state of invalidism, sadly abashed now and then at the courteous, wondering gaze of the soldiers who were aboard. Having very little idea of the geography of that part of the country and knowing we were to take a carriage from some point this side of Ponchatoula, fancying how surprised Mr. Halsey would be to hear we had passed him on the way, I took a card from my travelling case and wrote a few words for good-bye as we could not see him again. I sealed it up and put it in my pocket to send to the first post-office we passed about twelve o'clock we stopped at hammond which was our place to disembark mother sent out to hire a negro to carry me off the platform and while waiting in great perplexity a young officer who had just seated himself before me got up and asked if he could assist her seizing an armful of cloaks as he spoke i got up and walked to the door to appear independent and make believe i was not the one When mother begged him not to trouble himself, she wanted a man to assist her daughter who was sick. Calling a friend, the gentleman kindly loaded him with the cloaks, etc., while he hurried out after me. I was looking ruefully at the impracticable step which separated me from the platform. The question of how I was to carry out my independent notions began to perplex me. "'Allow me to assist you,' said a voice at my elbow." I TURNED AND BEHELD THE HANDSOME OFFICER. THANK YOU, I THINK I CAN GET DOWN ALONE. PRAY ALLOW ME TO LIFT YOU OVER THIS PLACE. MUCH OBLIGED, BUT YOUR ARM WILL SUFFICE. SARAH, LET THE GENTLEMAN CARRY YOU. YOU KNOW YOU CANNOT WALK, SAID MY VERY IMPROPER MOTHER. I RESPECTFULLY DECLINED THE RENEWED OFFER. "'Don't pay any attention to her. "'Pick her up just as you would a child,' said my incorrigible mother. "'The gentleman turned very red, while Miriam asserts I turned extremely white. "'The next thing I knew, by passing his arm around my waist or taking me by my arms, "'I was so frightened that I have but a confused idea of it, "'I was lifted over the intervening gulf and landed on the platform.' hammond boasts of four houses one a shoe manufactory stood about twenty or thirty yards off and there the gentleman proposed to conduct me again he insisted on carrying me and resolutely refusing i pronounced myself fully equal to the walk and accepting his proffered arm walked off with dignity and self-possession He must have fancied that the injury was in my hand, for holding my arm so that my entire weight must have been thrown on him, not satisfied with that support, with his other hand he held mine so respectfully and so carefully that I could not but smile as it struck me, which, by the way, was not until I reached the house.' Discovering that he belonged to Colonel Simonton's command, I asked him to take Mr. Halsey the note I had written an hour before. He pronounced himself delighted to be of the slightest service, and seeing that we were strangers, traveling unprotected, asked if we had secured a conveyance to take us beyond. We told him no. He modestly suggested that some gentleman might attend to it for us. He would be happy to do anything in his power. I thought again of Mr. Halsey, and said if he would mention we were in Hammond, he would be kind enough to see to it for us. "'May I ask your name?' he asked, evidently surprised to find himself asking a question he was dying to know." I gave him my card, whereupon mother asked his name, which he told us was Howard. We had been talking for some ten minutes, when feeling rather uncomfortable at being obliged to look up at such a tall man from my low seat, to relieve my neck as well as to shade my face from any further scrutiny, I put down my head while I was still speaking, Instantly, so quietly, naturally, and unobtrusively did he stoop down by me, on one knee so that his face was in full view of mine, that the action did not seem to me either singular or impertinent. In fact, I did not think of it until mother spoke of it after he left. After a few minutes it must have struck him, for he got up and made his parting bow— departing as i afterwards heard to question tish as to how i had been hurt and declaring that it was a dreadful calamity to happen to so lovely a young lady end of book four part three